0: Welcome to What Does This Mean?, a discussion of the Bible passages Lutherans and many other Christians read in church every Sunday. This week we hear that life entails hardship and suffering, but God promises that we live eternally in God's house of mercy and love. We're glad you're here. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmaling.
1: I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer.
0: And we are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul. We've been doing this podcast for a while now. It's been a great opportunity for us to dig more into the scriptures and hear what do these ancient Bible passages say to us today. It's been helpful for us as we prepare sermons, but especially in this time of pandemic, we are interested in trying to listen for how these scripture passages speak good news to us in our current situation. So we're glad you're here for this with us. We've recently been inviting guests to join us for our conversations, and that's added so much to our conversations. And unfortunately, again this week, We don't have a guest joining us. We will return to that practice soon. Today, you just get the three of us. Why don't we dive right in? Pastor Bradley, would you start us with the first reading today? I would
2: love to. Our first reading is from the book of Acts. Its full name is the Acts of the Apostles. And this is from chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. So this is obviously the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first one to lose his life for witnessing to his faith. Actually, Stephen is kind of an interesting character. As the church was kind of trying to figure out how to be the church, the original disciples uh, were really overwhelmed by all the work. And so they decided that they needed to call more people into the task. And so they chose people who were supposed to take care of the tables because a big piece of the early Christian fellowship was just feeding people. And so the disciples were trying to figure out how to teach and how to wait on the tables. And so they said, let's get a group of people to wait on tables. And so Stephen was one of those people. But he also got in trouble because he criticized the religious leaders. And um, that's kind of what leads to the scene that we find ourselves in today. I can remember scenes of this in children's Bibles when I was a kid and seeing Stephen kneeling down and like gazing up into heaven while everyone's standing around him with a, a rock
0: in their hand. You know, last week we read from chapter two of Acts, and it was this beautiful image of all the early Christians sharing everything they have in common, and it's this sort of utopian vision of life together in community. And five chapters later, we have the stoning of Stephen. You can see how quickly it goes from being this utopian great thing to, wow, life in this community is going to be hard. And really following the way of Jesus is going to bring some suffering upon the community. And I think it's amazing how much Stephen's final moments mirror Jesus's final moments. The Lord Jesus receive my spirit or that praying to God um, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And then the crying out in a loud voice in Stephen's case, do not hold this sin against them. But Jesus says, Forgive them for they know not what they do. I think the whole point being, Stephen is a model disciple following the path of Jesus.
2: And I wonder if this is also like a turning point in the story where they go more out into the Greco-Roman world. They, They pivot from Jerusalem into the rest of the Mediterranean. And so in a way, it's like everything goes great until they decide that everybody should be part of this project. And suddenly now the religious leaders are not so thrilled with this movement and think that they're doing something wrong because they want to take this message to the Gentiles. To me, that's where the story starts to connect, you know, a little bit. It's like everything goes great until we start to witness to some of the more radical, profound teachings of jesus and then things can turn against us
1: well and that we say this this message is not only good news for me but it be, it can be good news for everyone it's like oh you, you know if you're having some kind of good religious experience that's okay but keep it to yourself and don't don't share it much if once you start saying I think this means that the whole world can be transformed for goodness or for love or for um, community fellowship that becomes more dangerous for us there's also the little pivot point in the story when we lay they lay their their coats at the feet of Saul so we had the the introduction of a new character and we 'll find out lots more about Saul. This is who becomes Paul later in the story but you know, there, there, there's a little um, telltale sign of things are changing. Something big is going to going to happen, but in the meantime, this horrible thing co- comes for Stephen. His his life is offered.
2: Well, and even but yeah, I hadn't thought about this, Lois, till you kind of alluded to this. But already embedded in the story is this sign that something bigger is about to happen. That you have Saul there before his conversion and you wonder like how did this experience play into his spirit that led him to the place to be open then when jesus speaks to him who says saul saul why are you persecuting me i mean jesus first words to him are about his participation in these kind of things so was he already disturbed by it at this point
0: right And if you know the rest of the story, you know, as Lois said, Saul becomes Paul, who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles and writes two thirds of the New Testament. And so um, if you know this whole story, you know, God is at work, even in the strangest places and the strangest people working for good. Sometimes what you see on the surface isn't necessarily all that's There, The suffering that we witness here maybe isn't the end of the story for Stephen or for this Christian community.
2: Or maybe it says, you know, look out, God may call you into something grand right now. You might just be hanging up the coats in the coat room, you know, or dishing up some hot dish at a potluck but God sees you and knows what you can bring to the world. You may feel like just a tiny character in the story right now, but look what I can do for you.
0: Why don't we take a little break? We'll come right back.
1: next reading is from first Peter second chapter verses two through ten like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good come to him a living stone though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We talked a little bit about First Peter last week, but just the community was clearly under some kind of suffering, some kind of hardship was going on. They were experiencing troubles. And this letter comes to them as a means of assurance and reassurance for them. Whoever was writing this, we, we don't know for sure that it was Peter, but maybe a disciple of Peter, or someone that followed Peter's ideas. This person is desperate to try and give this community some image of who they can be. So it, it keeps throwing out different ideas. Like newborn infants, you're like a baby. You're like a baby who's just craving spiritual milk. You you are desperate for it. You know what, you're like a, a, a stone, a stone that's been thrown out, but you're like alive. You're a living stone and build yourself up into this big community. You're gonna be a living stone that's gonna form this thing. You are like people, who have been rejected, and now you're not rejected. You were once called not God's people, now you're called God's people, just all these these things. And then this beautiful chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, this holy sense of you think of yourselves as despised and rejected, but God is using you for some incredible, beautiful good. And just like a little baby, you're gonna grow into something magnificent really trying to reassure people of some future hope and some future goodness in your life.
2: Which is maybe a kind of reassurance that all of us need now. You know, you're being built into something. You are part of God's family. You are a crucial stone in the building of what we need to do right now. Maybe it doesn't feel that way to you in the moment, in your isolation or in your um, unemployment or in your separation from from family, but you're a building block. You're one of the building blocks. We can't do this without you.
1: There's something about this whole pandemic that feels very deconstructionist, you know, like things have like fallen down and we're going to rebuild something in the future that's going to be different than what it was. But maybe um, there's words here of assurance to say whatever's happening right now and what's being um, broken apart is going to be used for, for goodness in the future to help us build something that's even better than what it was before.
0: I am always struck by verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. When I was in seminary, our chapel music director had written this song that was a favorite that we sang regularly called Once You Were No People. Once you were, he, His paraphrase was once you were no people, but now we belong to each other and to God. Man, that just like completely captures me. And this verse... Once you were not a people, but now you're a God's people. I just reflect on that a lot and think about what it feels like to be no people and to not have a sense of belonging, community, but to now be formed into God's people. And maybe that speaks to us in this time, too, of pandemic that I feel like there's a very strong sense of community right now, even as we are all so isolated from one another and in some ways the sense of community is stronger now than it was in the pre-pandemic days so this idea that once we were not a people but now we are god's people just really speaks to me today i really love that
1: and that spiritual hunger that we're recognizing now it's like wow i really do want to be with each other you know with the people of god i really do want to be connected again like babies hungering for it. You know, just we really want what, what we can't have right now, but what we know God, God destines us for in the future.
2: Somebody asked me the other day, well, aren't you afraid after going to online worship that no one's going to come back uh, again once you start? And they were kind of using that as a reason not to have communion, like don't have communion so that there's some hook to get them back because online worship is just going to lead everybody away. And I said, you know, I think if more than anything, we have a renewed appreciation for what it means to be actually in the same space together. It's like, yeah, we're making this work and people are embracing it and enjoying it. And we all like to go to church in our slippers and our coffee, and that the pastors like that too. But I think we also understand in a new way the power of singing together, of even just the little greetings we make in the hallway to one another as we come and go, that those are really important to us in how we're held and understand ourselves as part of a community. So I think when we come back, we're going to appreciate it even more. We'll probably be sitting six feet apart from each other and wearing masks. So it, it'll be a whole new reality for us to adjust to. But I'm not afraid because I think in these difficult times, if if this community was in trouble, this writer is saying to them, God's building something right now and you're you're part of it. And that's got to be true now, too.
1: That God will call us out from darkness into God's marvelous light. You know, that, that day will come when we will be called into light to experience um, a fullness of life that we had taken for granted, maybe, but that God, um, God will, God still has in store for us. That's not gone forever.
0: That's a good place to stop. Why don't we take a quick break? Welcome back, our Gospel is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses one through 14. Jesus said to the disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, You will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it.
2: Wow, there's a lot in there. This is this is Jesus last words um for he leaves the disciples and before he's crucified. So he's like he's giving them his last will and testament and and, and in a way helping them understand what's co- going to be coming to them. And they obviously were feeling afraid, like how are we going to if you're leaving us? How are we going to do this? How are we going to go on? And so I think he's trying to reassure them. I interestingly, you know, people choose this passage for funerals so often because it says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we hear that beautifully as Jesus going ahead to heaven and kind of setting up our room and you know it it's it's nice to have this thought that there there's this place that's just waiting for us. But I wonder if that's what Jesus really meant. I wonder if the disciples were afraid that when Jesus left, God's presence would leave as well. Their connection to the spirit that they had felt through Jesus would disappear. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. In my father's house there's a lot of dwelling places. There's going to be a lot of people who are filled with the spirit who are going to help to connect you to me and to God and to and to one another. So don't worry. There's the whole creation is filled with dwelling
0: places for God. And elsewhere Jesus talks about abiding abide in me as I abide in you and that abide language. I I hear this passage less as Jesus going to prepare a place elsewhere, but that place is everywhere and we abide in it already and will forever abide in it. And it's less of a place and more of a way of being in God and for God to be in us forever.
1: We talked last week about Jesus being the gate and here he's the way, the truth, the life. You know, it's a sense of Sometimes I feel like that's understood very narrowly, like you have to follow Jesus because he's the only way. And I wonder if he's instead kind of describing a a big open way. You know, I've opened the whole way. You, You come to God's presence, you come to the Father through me, like the sense of it's wide open. There's so many avenues for grace. There's so much, you know, God is already making us into a royal priesthood. This whole sense that the the way is open for us to experience the abundant life, the abundant living of God, and that it's it's right there for us. And again, you know, the disciples are kind of like, what, what, you know, um, where where are you going? I, I didn't even catch where you were going. So how am I going to find the way? And um, Jesus is like, no, no, this is the way. We are living in the way. This this is already it. We're already experiencing the abundant life. It's here for you right now, and it's for everybody. There are many dwelling places all we're all uh, able to experience the love of god
0: i was thinking about that i am the way the truth and the life i think it does trip people up a little bit i think it's helpful to hear this passage alongside the other passages we read today and last week that talk about the suffering of the early christian community and to remember that they were living in a time when Christianity was not the dominant religion. They were not living in a Christian empire. They were very much outsiders. They were clearly a minority group and lived under persecution as a group of Christians. Stephen was stoned because of it. In that context, hearing Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life probably gave them what they needed to endure all that they were enduring uh, as early Christians. And in a way that now in modern America, where Christianity is kind of the dominant force to hear, I am the way, the truth and the life. I think we can hear that very much as an exclusive statement, like all the rest of you, too bad, so sad.
2: Right. Or it's it's colonizing. It's like the way... Uh, gets interpreted into the way I am in the world, the way I think about being in the world. That's the way that you should be in in the world. And we mix up culture and background and you know our political beliefs into what it means to
0: be on the way. And because we are the majority culture, we can kind of enforce that that way of being.
2: Well and people do use this passage, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me as a way of saying, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, they're outside. Christians are on the inside and i always I always want to tell people who say that it's like that's not who Jesus was talking to. number one there there wasn't an Islam yet. It it didn't exist yet. Jesus wouldn't have known anything about Buddhism or Hinduism. And he was a Jew. So um you can you can't take a pluralistic world where we know about faiths from all around the globe and put it into this first century context as if Jesus would have known all of that. I think he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to Muslims or Buddhists. He's talking to his own disciples and he's saying, "You don't get it. I'm the way. You're you're part of it already. Don't don't worry about it. My life is 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 your life."
0: And Jesus is saying all of that in response to that question about well, where are you going? You say we know the way, but we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way. (laughs) That's the context that Jesus is speaking into. Can I ask what you all make of one other line that I think trips me up? It's the very last one. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. I think especially in this time, when there's so much suffering and illness and death and economic instability and just a lot of hardship we hear, if in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. And people have been asking in Jesus' name for all sorts of things and aren't getting it or don't think that God is answering their prayers or hearing them. How do you make sense of that line?
2: I've always kind of interpreted it as praying in the way of Jesus or praying in the way Jesus prayed. You know, that Jesus' prayer in the garden was not my will, but yours be done. That he wasn't asking for these specific, well, he was kind of asking for a specific request. There's like, if if I don't have to do this, let me off the hook. I I really don't want to, but not my way, but yours be done. And I feel like, To pray in Jesus' name is to say, I want to approach this in God's spirit. I want to enter into my struggle clear in God's presence that what I need is faith, what I need is courage, what I need is hope or a sense that the future is bigger than what I can see but i don't hear this as saying okay will you take this away will you take this away or will you give me this or will you will you give me that
1: i i i agree i like the the context the beginning of the passage about being in the presence of god or being in this place with many dwelling places and jesus is saying to enter into god's reign to enter into this this beautiful place with many dwelling places just don't even worry about it ask it in my name if you feel like you you don't want you want to say i you know you have any reason to be there you do but if if you don't trust yourself use it use my name just you know (laughs) use my name to get into the the fancy restaurant or whatever it is it's not it's not fancy it's god's own dwelling place and you're already there because i'm there and i'm with you so ask for any of it it's all yours everything god intends for us is is ours already you know, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that if I pray for my, my family to be protected from a virus, or if I pray that someone I'm, I love who's dying might live, I don't know that it's that kind of a prayer. I think what, what um, the conversation was about was, if you long to be in the presence of God, you just ask in my name, you will be in the presence of God. This is God's loving presence for you and, and for, for the whole world.
0: I think that's a good place for us to end today we're interested to hear from you what you think all of this means drop us a note anytime at pastors at org. we also hope you'll rate the podcast and leave us a review on whatever service you use for your podcasts thank you so much to our assistant music director paul d'amico carper for providing the music you heard today and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing this podcast for us. You can join us online for worship every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. You can find information to join our online worship on the front page of our website, org. You can also join us each Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. for a time of fellowship, some small group conversation and just a chance to be together in community. You are very welcome to join us for that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day
2: Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaysaintpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.